Dear God, we just thank you so much for your grace in our life. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your, uh, your sovereignty, even when life seems out of control. We thank you for the ability to still be together virtually. I pray that as we come together as a church body, that you would, um, that you would speak through me in, in the message today, speak to all of us by the grace of your Holy Spirit, and allow us to glorify your name. Uh, even as we are meeting on the internet, God. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and if you uh, if you hear a little ding, that's because uh, I'm uh, using a, a different computer and their text messages are coming through. So uh, I apologize for those slight interruptions. But good morning to everybody. Thanks for letting me share with you today. Uh, even though I'm so sad that we're not able to be together in person, I'm, I'm so thankful for technology that allows us to still meet together uh, and, and hopefully worship together and, and grow together as we look at God's word and then leave this time uh, feeling encouraged for the another week of the unknown ahead. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Perry. My wife and I, Rachel, are uh, serving as youth directors up in Federal Way, Washington, kind of in between Seattle and Tacoma. Uh, but we're serving the youth here. Um, but before we came here, we were members of Family of Grace down in Portland. Uh, and we actually started on the support raising process to head onto the mission field. And it was during that time that Rachel's home church uh, invited us to come on staff for a two year period to help launch us onto the field. And so really Family of Grace sent us from, uh, from Portland up to here and then we'll be kind of co-sent as uh, people from Family of Grace and Lifeway Church to Austria. And so I just first want to thank you so much for your prayers and your financial support. Uh, as a church, it's been a huge blessing to know that we have people behind us who are praying for us and encouraging us. Uh, in, in the ministry, and we're so excited to get on the field. Um, as of now, uh, we are planning on heading out in September of this year, uh, but we're just prayerfully uh, seeking God's timeline for all of this. But thank you so much for your partnership uh, in ministry. So it's, uh, let's jump in. So I have the privilege today of sharing with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Understand that you've been walking through this book for some time now, uh, and I'm honored and, and truly humbled to be a part of this process. It's, uh, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching alongside some, some amazing people, and so I appreciate this opportunity. Now, 1 Corinthians 9 is a really interesting book, it's a, or it's a really interesting chapter in an interesting book. It's sandwiched between Paul talking about food offered to idols and, and idolatry as a whole, and you have this chapter that has a lot of detail about his rights. It's a somewhat lengthy chapter, but I'm so thankful for Drew reading it beforehand because I think it's good to have a bigger, uh, to read the chapter as a whole to, to see what Paul is doing and how he's laying out his argument uh, and his thought process. And so uh, I'm preaching from the ESV today, and I believe that's what Drew read from, uh, but whatever version, I really encourage you guys to follow along with my message today. I'll be uh, letting you know and sharing what uh, passage we are on in the chapter. Now, many of you have, have heard of great motivational stories of people who have accomplished uh, amazing uh, and overcome amazing obstacles to achieve amazing goals. 
Uh, one such person is a man by the name of David Goggins. Now, David Goggins is an athlete and motivational speaker, and he's an author and blogger and all of that. But before he became these things, he was actually uh, a soldier, a young Air Force soldier, who ended up failing out because he was afraid of water. So after the military, he ended up gaining a lot of weight, and he was just working as an exterminator, uh, kind of in a depressive season of life. Uh, until he saw a recruitment ad for the Navy SEALs, and he knew he needed something to change in his life, and so he started the process. He called the recruiter to start the process to become a Navy SEAL, and he was told that in order to even be considered, he would need to lose over 100 pounds in less than three months. And so he got to work. And three months later, he made some drastic life changes, and three months later, he had lost the weight, and was starting the process to become a Navy SEAL. David Goggins went on to not only become a Navy SEAL, but he accomplished so much in the process. He went through uh, the training phase, which is called Hell Week, which gives you an idea of how grueling the process is. He went through that whole time. He went through three of those in one year. Uh, he ended up setting the world record for the most pull-ups done in less than 24 hours. He did. 4,030 pull-ups. He's run ultra marathons for days at a time around the world, setting records and, and accomplishing so much. Now, whenever people hear David Goggins' story, they usually leave feeling encouraged and motivated to accomplish their own goals. And it kind of begs the question, why do people like motivational stories so much? I mean, Disney makes so many movies about the underdog under, uh, overcoming obstacles. Stories like these show us that people can achieve seemingly impossible tasks. And what connects David Goggins' overcoming depression and physical challenges to others, like, like Walt Disney overcoming uh, poverty, or Winston Churchill overcoming learning challenges, or Helen Kev Keller overcoming the loss of sight and hearing, or even Louis Zapparini overcoming PTSD to live such extraordinary lives. Obviously, there are a lot of things that go into making successful people, into winning. There's a lot of things that go into making one ready to compete in such competitions and come out the other side as champions. And for different people and different sports and different events, it takes different things to all make those possible. But one thing that is true of all of them, all winners must have passion. For virtually everyone who is going to be a champion, going to do something extraordinary, going to accomplish great things, they must have passion. All winners must have a passion to win, a passion to drive you forward, to keep you going when things get tough and difficult and discouraging. And I think the same is true for us who follow Christ. The thing that motivates us forward in our faith is, is not a sense of duty or a moral obligation or, or even a sense of responsibility. The thing that motivates us forward is a passion for Christ, a love and devotion to Jesus. Otherwise, when things get difficult, when uh, the obstacles of life come in, that we get discouraged, get pushed down, when coronavirus happens and we're unable to meet, if our faith is built on an obligation, it's gonna falter. But if it's built on Christ, it's gonna last. 
In fact, a missionary by the name of Dick Brogdon once said that it was not our love for people that motivates us in missions. It can't be. Because what happens when we don't love people? No, it's not our love for people that motivates us for ministry. It's our love and our passion for Jesus that motivates us for ministry. It's our love for Christ that motivates us for missions. To say it another way, it's our passion for Christ that motivates us to share the gospel. And now the Apostle Paul was no stranger to passion. His passion for Jesus took him on wild adventures and led him around the world, the Roman world. This passion for Jesus, I think, really comes out in this chapter of Corinthians in a deep way, as you will soon see. And so verses 1 and 2, we meet Paul. Paul begins the chapter by reminding us and reminding the Corinthian readers of his position as an apostle, one sent by Jesus himself to share the good news of Christ. And if you want to know how we can be sure that Paul's actually an apostle, well, just look around. If the proof is in the pudding, then the Corinthian church is a bowl filled to the brim. They are the proof because Paul was sent to them to share Christ. So by their very existence is, Christ, is Paul's apostleship proven. And Paul continues on in verses 3 through 14. As an apostle, Paul and Barnabas with him both have rights. They can eat and drink, be married, get a paycheck, have a normal life the same as everyone else. right? Just because they're apostles doesn't mean that they have any less rights. And if you want to know how we can be sure that Paul, as an apostle, has rights, well, just look around, right? He gives so many examples. Soldiers get paid. Farmers get food. Even in the Old Testament and in the temple system, do we see it as a whole proof that those who serve the Lord have rights, rights to make a living as those who serve the Lord. And so if Paul and Barnabas are leading people spiritually, they have a right to receive something materialistically for their service. And yet, as Paul continues in verses 15 through 18, Paul gives up his rights. Now, it's kind of odd that after spending so much time, uh, 14 verses, uh, proving that Paul has rights without a shadow of a doubt, he himself then gives them up. He's not made use of his rights. For him, it's, it's not enough to just live out his calling to preach the gospel. He can't help but preach the gospel. In fact, he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's out of necessity that he does so. No, Paul takes it one step further, and he actually gives up all of his rights as an apostle. Why? So that he can win all the more people to Christ. He doesn't want to put up any obstacles that would get in the way from people who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus to come into that relationship. And so not only does Paul give up his rights, in verses 19 through the end, verse 27, we see Paul actually giving up himself. He takes it another step further. Though he is free, he has actually made himself a servant to all. Now this is where I think the passion really comes out. The verses up to this point have served to illustrate Paul's case. The fact that he is giving up his rights is important. He is so clearly has them, so it's all the more important that he's laying them down. 
Paul not only lays them down, Paul, modeling his life after Christ, lays down his life. He lays down himself so that he can win more people to Jesus. It is a passion for Christ that leads Paul to become all things to all people, so that he might win some. It is a passion none like that, not unlike that of an Olympian. Obviously something the Corinthians would have known well because of what's called the Isthmian Games, which were part of the Olympiad cycle. They were held in the Corinthian area. The Isthmian Games were not merely a, a sporting event that happened every so often. They were an important part of the Corinthian life and history and culture. In fact, training for these games would, would happen 10 months before the actual events. And athletes would abstain from virtually everything in order to train. They would devote 10 months of their lives uh, and every other year to strict training. They would forsake relationships, food, wine, all things in order to stay focused on the prize. They let their passion for winning drive them towards giving up virtually all of their rights to stay focused on the goal. It is that passion that drove Paul to become all things to all people. Paul was willing to do anything short of sinning so that others might know Christ. It's not about what he wants or what he thinks or what his preferences are, but what would be best so that those around him, the people he is witnessing to, might respond positively to the message. Too often do we, we look at life from the vantage point of our wants and desires. We're selfish creatures. What would best serve me? What do I want to get out of this? How can I be most comfortable? But the reality is, for those of us in Christ, the question is not about what I want. The question is what, about, is what to do for those around me. How can I meet the needs of those around me with the gospel message? It is that passion that drove Paul to give up himself to share Christ. It is that passion that Paul then urges on to us that we might follow suit and, and run the race to share the gospel and win the imperishable wreath of eternal relationship with Christ. Paul, in his final thoughts in this chapter, bids the Corinthians all to give up themselves to passionately share the gospel and to keep on sharing so that they would not be disqualified. And so, too, are Paul's final thoughts laid out for us. Family of grace, how have you, how have we responded to the gospel? Again, too often do we treat our faith haphazardly, fumbling around our lives, like training not like Olympians, but more like a children's t-ball team. You know, the ones where the kids come together once a week for about an hour, and they listen to their coach from up front explain some stuff about the game, and then they practice one or two aspects of the game before going home, only to come back the next week and do it all again. We treat we let our faith in Christ take up part of our life as opposed to giving it up, giving up our whole selves to it. 
No, faith in Christ should look more like an Olympian, training daily, spending every waking hour on mission, being cautious with what they put into their body and where they're spending their time. Olympians trade, train hard and they rest well and they have a goal in sight that they are passionately striving for. Folks, the entire story of the Bible necessitates a response from us. The story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and then raising from the grave three days later bed, bids us to respond. So first, for some of you, how have you responded to the gospel? For some, perhaps you first need to pray earnestly that God the Father would soften your heart. And then you would respond to that heart change with full submission and obedience, which leads to a natural life change. For others of you, you need to recognize that that life change is not a partial life change. Faith in Christ does not merely mean that your Sundays are busy and that part of your paycheck and some of your time goes to the service of the church. It's not merely one patch to add on the letterman jacket of your life to show that you're a part of a specific team among some others. It should not come out as just one of our hobbies, like I'm a Seahawks fan, a Blazers fan, a Christ fan, and a Timbers fan. No, here Paul is stating clearly that the full identifying marker of our life should be as one who follows Christ. And thus, in all that we do, we should aim to make him known to those around us. And for some of you who have already made that decision, who are following passionately after Christ, who have fully lived into this life change, you need to be encouraged that the imperishable wreath of ruining the race with Christ is true and is real and is coming to you as you faithfully run. Keep it up. These momentary sufferings and hardships will only serve to deepen our trust and our faith and our resolve that Christ is with us. And so as we continue on in our days and weeks to come, the question for each of us is, are we willing to passionately follow Christ to the point of becoming all things to all people so that we might win some to the Lord. What step do you need to take to move deeper in your faith training? Who in your life needs to uh, need? Who in your life do you need to passionately reach for Christ? Because ultimately, we should give up ourselves to passionately share the gospel. We ought to give up ourselves to passionately share the gospel. I'd like to pray now. And, and encourage all of you to, as Drew said earlier, get together and, and maybe think about where you are in those trainings, whether you first need to respond, whether you need to uh, prayerfully seek out how you can take the next deeper step into your faith, or whether you just need a, a moment of encouragement knowing that Christ is real, that your work is not in vain, and that you are continuing to run this race. And then uh, ask kind of yourself, or maybe if you're in a group, who in your life do you need to passionately share this gospel for? Who, what rights do you need to lay down? What desires and wants do you need to lay down so that you can reach somebody, meet them where they are with the gospel message? So those are the things I would love for you to, to think about and talk about. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue on, I believe, in the next live stream with Drew. So if you'd pray with me. 
Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your love in our life. We thank you for your wisdom and your word and that the Holy Spirit is applying your word to our lives. I pray for, for family of grace that you would continue to use them and use them even more so in such a time as this with the gospel message. Would you allow family of grace to, as a whole, give up their life, give up their rights, give up their, their desires and wants so that they can be better equipped to share the gospel with those around them? Lord, would, would we see a revival in, the, in our cities, in our nation, and in our communities for the gospel, even during this time, Lord? Would you use each and every one of us to passionately share this message of grace and freedom and redemption that Christ offers because of his death and resurrection and this new life that we can have through Jesus? Lord, would you help us each uh, repent of our sin and submit ourselves fully and wholly devoted to you? Father, I pray that you would accomplish great things through us in the weeks to come. As we step into the unknown, let us do so guided by the Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.